Hey, thanks, Rob. And, uh, you know, I just love the lyrics to that last song, you know, come to the altar with arms open wide. Um, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful, you know, and, and that just plays so well into right where we're headed this morning. Um, I want to just share this with you on the front end. I just want to say thank you from um, both Christina and myself um, for last weekend. Thank you for praying for us and um, just want you to know along with um, our staff and our, our elders and all of you, it's just a privilege for us to be able to serve together and, and uh, so just really an honor, um, an honor for us and so I just want to express uh, just our gratitude um, again um, for that to you. So um, we're in part two today of a four-part series and uh, it's called First Things First and uh, we said last weekend that the inspiration really for this series came from the Old Testament book of Second Kings chapter 5. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, we read this story about this man named Naaman, and he was a military leader, and he was a valiant leader. Look in the scriptures, and and it says that he was a guy that was, quote unquote, highly regarded. And he was highly regarded because this was the kind of guy that he went out and he won victory after victory. He was the kind of guy that could rally the troops and really get things going. He had success, and he had lots of accolades because of the things that he accomplished. But what we saw in his life last week was this, in spite of all the incredible things that happened in his life, the big things, the biggest blessing that ever came by the way, that ever came to Naaman came through something that was very, very simple. Um, It wasn't something that was hard, it was actually something that was incredibly simple. And so this series that we're in, in a nutshell, um, called First Things First, is this. We're going to look at some very simple things, Um, some things that we can look at and go, you know what, if if I implemented those things in my life in 2017, I would look back on it and I would be so glad that I did. Um, We said that there are two of the topics are very practical. Last week was very practical. Next week will be very practical. And then two of them are kind of, they're more like the posture that we approach God with or um, even the the attitude and the perspective that, that we have. And so um, last weekend, on the practical side, we looked at Psalm chapter 1. And it, in a sense, you could say, it's a playbook. Um, Psalm 1 is a playbook of, of how do you step into the blessing of God? What exactly does that look like? And we saw in Psalm 1, it paints this picture of this tree that grows up by this stream of water. And this tree grows, and it bears much fruit, and it provides shade. I mean, it's a, it's a good tree. And we said, well, what would it be like if we were the kind of people that we grew strong as a church? And what would happen if hundreds of us did what is prescribed in Psalm 1? And what we saw, what was prescribed, what we learned was this. This person that's life where their roots grow deep, this person that's mature, this person that looks back over life, and they seriously have a legacy of faith that they leave. What we found was this, that they have this daily practice of sitting before God of reflecting on his word, of of truly hearing from God. And so we threw out this big challenge last weekend and we said, hey, would you pick a time, would you as a church, would you pick a place where individually you're seeking God? Um, So we gave these out. It was so fun. We gave these reading plans out, 365 in 2017, and just an easy way for you to get into the scripture. We ran completely out of these. We've got more for you this morning. You can get one on your way out. But we also said this, and I was just kind of prompted in this way uh, throughout the course of last week, was I I said, man, if we're going to throw this big challenge out, I personally, I want to be praying for those that are are up for it and will take it. And so on our website, we created this little space where you can go and say, I'm in in 365. I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. We took a group of those names that came in from that. 
to our staff meeting this week, and we just prayed, and we just said, God, would you allow this person to hear from you as they're seeking you each and every day? Because we know if we're in God's word, it will bear um, some incredible fruit in our lives. So I want to encourage you. That'll be up for a few more days. You can go on there, click on that, and we would love, be our privilege, uh, to be able to, to pray for you in that way. Well, next weekend, I want to tell you, as Melissa said, it is very important. And I want to encourage two groups in particular to make sure that you don't miss next weekend. The first group is this. If you're in a small group, I want to encourage you to come next weekend. Because Tim is going to take us in the book of Hebrews and he's going to kind of explain and really unpack for us what does it mean, what does it look like, what are some practical insights that we can take away so that we can help our small group thrive. What, is, what exactly does that look like? The second group, and I think I'm covering everybody here, if you're not in a small group, I strongly encourage you, would you come next weekend? You'll have an opportunity to hear a lot about groups and then you'll be able just to make a decision. Yeah, I, I want to give that a shot. I want to I check out a group. We truly do believe here. It's a big church, but we believe that life is better connected. Um, the value of being in a small group, I can't explain to you how valuable that has been, I know, in my own life. Um, so I would encourage you strongly, uh, come next weekend, prioritize that, and, um, and, and take a chance. Get in a group and, and see, see what happens. Well, before we dive in this morning to part two, and first things first, I would love to pray for us and just say, God, would you speak to us in this place? But I also want to pray uh, for an important day tomorrow for our nation and for our city. Uh, tomorrow, in addition to Omaha becoming a solid block of ice, um, it's also Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. And so I also want to pray just for all the good that that represents and how that impacts each one of us. So, yeah, would you, would you join me now and, and we'll pray together. Lord, thank you um, that you are in this place. Lord, thank you that you are alive and well, that you call your church together this morning, Lord. Uh, we just say to you, it is an honor for us to be here in your presence. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord. I pray it wouldn't be my words that are heard this morning, but we would hear directly from you. And Lord, we also want to proclaim as a church this morning, as we think about our, our city and our nation, Lord, we want to be the kind of church that we are so quick to reach across any racial lines or divides in our spheres of influence, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would bring racial healing even to our city and our country, and might we be an integral part as a church of fostering the kind of relationships, and might we see the picture of diversity in your church that you long to see. And so, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, Father, for your grace that you've so freely extended to us, Father. So we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question to start off with. Have you ever witnessed something that was so abnormal to you? It was so maybe surprising to you. It was so jarring to you. It was maybe even so extravagant to you that as you saw it unfold, it locked a picture in your mind that you just couldn't get out. It, 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 you just, it just got a memory in your mind that this mental picture, that it was deeply embedded in you because of the extravagance of what you saw. About five years ago, almost to the day, Christine and I headed toward Minnesota. We dropped our kids off at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and we went up there to celebrate our 10-year uh, anniversary, and we went up there to, do, to go snowboarding for a couple days, and and the first morning that we're there, we come down the slope and we see this young man, he was about 15, 16 years old, and he's laying on his back and he's completely unconscious. And by the time we got down there, his brother was frantic, his younger brother, and his younger brother had called for help. And there was already one ski patrol that had arrived and they were on the radio trying to get some other people there. And as we watched this unfold, 
for like the next 15 minutes, the situation just continued to worsen and worsen. This guy's face went from being very pale to being kind of this light blue purple. And it just, it didn't look good. About 15 minutes later, the ambulance got there and the paramedics, they started working on this young man. A doctor who was just skiing had showed up and he was doing everything that he could. And we're just standing there and we're thinking about this through the eyes of this, this brother, you know. I mean, he's just like, wow. I mean, he's just frantic and he's like, what's wrong with my brother? He just collapsed right here. And we're thinking about the parents that, man, they're going to get a phone call. And so we just stood there. We couldn't do much else. We're, we're just praying for this kid. And um, we found out the next day that, that he did come. He did, be, did become conscious. But something had happened to him caused a major cardiac issue for him. Now, this image was locked in our minds. We went, we, you know, we continued to kind of go through our little trip. And, but I tell you what, our minds kept going back to what was it like for that brother? Our minds kept going back to what was it like for those parents to get that phone call? And the scene of that, the vivid image of that young boy laying there, it was just imprinted in our minds. Have you ever had something like that? In our text for this morning, we're going to see a scene that is gripping. It's one of those scenes that no doubt, if, if you would have been there in this context, this scene would not have left your mind. You would have remembered it for weeks, for, for even years later, you would have been able to describe it very vividly. But what we're going to see this morning is the scene was gripping, not because it was tragic. And it was gripping not because it was filled with fear or uncertainty. It was gripping because there was something that happened in Mark chapter 14 that was so incredibly extravagant. It was jarring. It was way beyond the norm. It was unusual. It was the kind of thing that you would even look at and you would go, man, that's excessive even. And yet what we're going to learn this morning is that though what we see in Mark 14 might seem extravagant, you might read it and you, you might go, whoa, or you might see the reaction of those in the text and, and they thought, whoa, that's too much. All things considered, what happened in Mark 14 was so appropriate. And we're going to see this morning this woman worship Jesus. But she's going to worship Jesus not in a mild manner. She's going to worship Jesus in an extravagant manner. She's going to ascribe so much worth to him that the bystanders are going to feel as though it's shocking. And what I love about this text is I think when we understand her extravagance, I think it inspires us to worship. And so first things first, I think this is a first things first kind of issue. So I'm going to read the whole text to you. Mark chapter 14, we'll start in verse 1. You can click or turn there now. And um, I'll read the whole story to you, and then we're going to go back and, and let's learn through it together, okay? So here it is, verse 1. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Now think about that for a second right there. How would you like to be forever identified by something that happened in your past? Simon the leper, right? A woman came to him. Now notice this first. Nobody would have even stepped a foot in this house had this man, Simon, not been healed of leprosy. They wouldn't even have gone near him. And so it's very likely that this man was healed by Jesus. Maybe even that this, this meal was in response to that event. And so this woman, though, she comes in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. And some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? 
I mean, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. And she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has been, what she has done for me will also be told in memory of her. Now when I came across this text, when I looked at Mark 14 a couple months ago, I thought to myself and I told Tim, I said, Tim, I feel compelled to teach this text. And this is why I'm so excited. I believe this is why this is such an important Sunday for us even as a church. This passage, it gives us this incredible glimpse of what it means to worship Jesus with extravagance. What does it mean to worship Jesus extravagantly? In so many ways, I think it's a sneak peek. It's like this, it's perfectly framed, the heart behind why and how we respond to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Now, when you think of that word worship, it might be a little ambiguous to you. It might be a little bit hard, even you would say, to define. Maybe you feel like every time you would hear a word, the word worship, you think right away you think of, of religion. But let me just say this to you. The very simple, a very core definition of what worship is, is this. To worship means this. It means to ascribe worth to someone or something. Uh, it means to value. It means to, to highly esteem. It means to cherish. And the truth is, you're a worshiper and so am I. Whether we, whether we admit it or not, we are all worshipers. We can worship anything. You and I can worship a person, we can worship a car, we can worship a boat, we can worship a relationship. You can worship a future hope. You can worship a future dream, you can worship a child. We worship whatever we ascribe much worth to. And so we see this scene in Mark chapter 14. And this is what's happening. This is the context in which Mark 14 comes. Jesus has his face pointing toward the cross. He's preparing to go to the cross. That's where he's going. It's Passover week. It's a big week in Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem is usually around, at this time, around 50,000 people. But on this week, on Passover week, it swells. It doubles to about 100,000 people. So the crowds are gathered for this very important Jewish festival. But also at this time, the chief priests and the teachers of the law have gathered. And they're saying, you know what? Our little worship of ourselves is being threatened. And we don't like all the good that Jesus is doing. And so they, they decide, hey, we need to plot how we can see him uh, killed. We need to figure out how can we get Jesus out of here. But they know this, we can't do it while the crowds are here. We can't do it during Passover week because Jesus has done too much good. And if we do this now, if we go get him now, the people will revolt and we'll have a riot on our hands. And so we see in verse 3, though, so while all of this is happening in Jerusalem, Jesus is in Bethany. Now, Bethany is about just two miles from Jerusalem. It's kind of like the last stop that Jesus would make before he would go to his crucifixion when he got to Jerusalem. And so it says this in uh, verse 3. It says, while he was in Bethany. Now, we're going to hear more about Bethany. You read through the Gospels. Bethany is a, it's a famous place in the scriptures, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But while he's there, he's reclining at the table of, in the home of Simon the leper, and a woman comes with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. 
And what did she do? She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. Now we know this. This woman, her name is Mary. She's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is different Mary. And what does she do? Imagine this with me. She comes into their home and she has this alabaster jar. Now, this is actually probably pretty close to what it would have looked like. When I first thought of this, I thought of a little flask of uh, perfume, but it wasn't like that. It would have been about a half a pint. It would have held about 16 ounces. And it would have been sealed at the top. Mark, the, the book of Mark says that what did she do with it? It says that she broke the neck of the bottle, right? Broke it off because it was sealed. And then she goes over to Jesus and she does this extraordinary act of worship. She pours this very expensive perfume. This would have been imported. This would have been a huge, huge deal for her to have done this. Now, even before she got there, this would have been a strange event. Because a woman in the presence of all of these men reclining at this table was completely abnormal. It wouldn't have happened. But yet we see in the Gospels over and over again that Jesus, what did he do? Man, he just, he, he broke that stereotype right away. And he valued women dearly. And so she's not stopped. She walks right into the context of these men. Now I want you to use your senses on this one for, for a minute. The scriptures come to life. When you're reading through the Bible, ask yourself, what would it like to be there? So imagine it. She comes walking in and it's not a big deal. That's, that would have been noticeable first. But then she goes over to Jesus, she has this jar broken, she pours this on his head, and it's, it says this even in the book of John, that the, this perfume, it would have dripped down his face, it somehow it got down to his feet, because in the other gospel, it's recorded like this, it says that she gets down on the ground, and she wipes his feet with this perfume, with her hair. Do you like feet? How humbling. What an extravagant display of her worship. In their culture, they use perfume for about two things. And neither one of them entail getting ready for a hot date. Neither one of them. So you would use perfume in this way. If you showed up to my house and you were a special guest, I might put a little bit of perfume on you. I think it's kind of funny. It's kind of like saying, hey, welcome to our home. We don't want you to stink it up while you're here, you know. <laughs> the other way was this. They would use perfume when they were preparing someone for burial. Those were the two times when they used perfume. This was so extravagant, what she's doing here. Not a small thing. We cannot miss that in the text. This would have been, in the book of John, it says this. It says that the contents of this bottle of perfume, this vase, this jar, would have been equal to at least a year's worth of wages. It's also likely that it would have been a family heirloom. Like that Mary would have seen this jar passed down from the previous generation. And I just wonder if she ever looked up at kind of the mantle in her house and she saw the alabaster jar there. I, ever, I wonder if she ever thought, you know, I wonder if I'll ever see that broken. Well, I wonder if I'll ever smell the scent of that. But imagine being there that day. She breaks the jar. It says that they were eating. So there was an aroma in the home of food. I don't know if they're having a pot roast or fried chicken. I don't know. Imagine it though. And all of a sudden though, over that aroma that was probably pleasing, comes this much more pleasing aroma. But it was an aroma that those that were sitting there, they were calculating the cost of this beautiful smell. And it bothered them. And I thought to myself this week, I wonder how intense it was for Mary. I wonder what it was like two weeks before when she saw that thing sitting up on the mantle and she thought, wow, 
Maybe I'll get to break that and pour that over Jesus. And I wondered what it was like when she walks from her house to this, <coughs> to Simon's house. Did she, you know, she carry it like very carefully, like a year's worth of wages. And I wondered, did she get any looks on the way? Did anybody say, hey, do you, do you have any idea what you're carrying? I wonder if anybody in the family was like, don't take that. Where's, where, where is that? But I don't think she would have cared. I don't think it would have bothered her a bit. And then it says this in, in verse 4. And I just got to ask you, have you ever noticed that when you do something extravagant, particularly when you do something extravagant with your faith, whether it's a decision that you make or it's a gift that you give or whatever, have you ever noticed that, that sometimes that's not met with a lot of applause? Sometimes that's, that people kind of go, man, what, what's going on? That's a little bit weird and it, it kind of causes a stir. Have you ever even maybe felt that way yourself? You ever had that feeling before that, that man, maybe even for our For the City initiative, you, man, you really got behind that and you said, you said man, I want to be a part of that. And, and, and you maybe wrote a check and you thought even to yourself, are we crazy? Are we, are we nuts? What are we doing? Or maybe you, you, know, you, and you gave your time in a significant way, but as soon as you gave your time, as soon as you signed up for it, you just began to question, wow, am I, am I doing the right thing? Is this, is this the right thing? When we do things that are extravagant, particularly for the one that we love, sometimes it's not met with a lot of, oh yeah, that's a great thing you just did. Look at their response in verse 4. It says this, some of those they, present were saying, indignantly, meaning full of passion. They were saying to one another, so there's kind of like this, I can't believe what she's talking about. It's kind of like that rumble, right? Why this waste of perfume? Now know this, the actual, the literal translation means this right there. It says this, to what end this waste? What is the end of this waste? Where is this going? Because the moment that these men at the table began to smell this perfume, they began to do the math. To what end this waste? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Now we see all over the scriptures that Jesus cared deeply for the poor. Verse after verse after verse. That's not the point. But what Jesus is getting at is something much, much deeper. Now I don't know about you. I listen to this text, I read this, and I can side with this woman so quickly. And it makes me just want to kind of rise up and stare down these guys and say, uh, you guys are wrong. But as I thought about it this week, unfortunately, I thought there are too many times when I can relate to the disciples in this. And I can lose sight of the extravagance of the one receiving our worth. I can, I can lose sight of the extravagance of the one that we worship. But the disciples that day, they couldn't make sense of it. it the, the extravagance, it bothered them. And yet for Mary, it made perfect sense because she knew. John chapter 12, it records that Mary's brother was Lazarus, meaning that Mary was there when Lazarus was healed. She was there when Lazarus was risen from the, the dead. So we see this in John chapter 12. It says this in verse 1, John 12. It says, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Lazarus was at this 
meal. I mean, think about that for a second. Mary saw her brother. I'm thinking she did this. She walks into the room. She's got the alabaster jar. She walks by her brother. And you've got to know in your mind that she's thinking this. Jesus, you healed my brother. The last thing that I can do is break a vase for you. You're that worth it. I don't think there was any question in her mind that day. I don't think there was any question at all. Isn't it true? It's easier to express extravagance when you've experienced extravagance. Isn't that true? I remember the first time that I walked into a church and I saw people singing with their hands raised in the air. And I wondered, what is wrong with them? (laughs) Are they being held up? You know, like, what are they reaching for? But the more that I saw it and the more that I was there, and I I hope that this is what people feel when they walk into this church, the more that I began to say to myself, they must have someone that has really impacted them. They really mean their worship. They're really passionate about that. Whoever they're worshiping, they're very excited about it. Whatever they're worshiping, whoever they're worshiping, must have played an incredibly important role in their lives because of what they're doing. It seems extravagant. You know, when you bring a burden to God, though, isn't this true? When you bring a burden to God and you see him take that, I mean, doesn't it make you just want to go, God, I praise you. When, you. when you go to God, sometimes in worship, I'll be hanging on to things that I just are out of my control. I don't need to hang on to them. So sometimes I just open my hands like this, and it's not a big deal, but it's just a way for me to say, have you ever noticed this? Sometimes what you do with your body, your heart kind of follows that. So sometimes I'll just, as an expression, I'll say, God, I just give you this as we're singing. And I just, I just do it just like that. Why? I'm just saying, hey, God, you're good, and you're you'll take this. I think it's also interesting, though, in this passage that nobody made Mary do this. We never read, and we never read in any of the Gospels that there was this meeting before the meal. And they said, Mary, when you come, you bring the alabaster jar. We know that's going to be so hard for you, but you drag your feet and you get in there and you express extravagantly your worship for Jesus today because after all, he healed your brother. We don't see that. And worship's not like that, is it? Worship is this open, joyful expression because God has changed us. In the shadow of the sacrifice, extravagance made complete sense to Mary. In the extravagance of the sacrifice for you and for me, extravagance of worship in all areas of our life, it doesn't seem crazy. It seems appropriate. Back to the story. Again, get into the scriptures with all of, your, all of your mind here, okay? Imagine you're sitting at the table. This is what it says then in verse 6. Jesus responds. He says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Meaning, enough. Enough. Quit it, guys. Quit your bickering. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. 
the poor you'll always have with you, but you won't always have me. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that he was preparing to go to be crucified. That was not a mystery to him at this point. He was in Bethany. He's got two more miles to go. He's going to be in Jerusalem. It's Passover week. It is time. And what is Mary doing? She is preparing him, Jesus said, for his burial. And here's what we know. When they took Jesus down from the cross, imagine this. It's very likely that those soldiers, when they pulled Jesus from the cross, they smelled this perfume. Think about that. Never noticed that before. Studied it and I thought, yeah, I just read it. Scholars agree on that. Do you understand why Jesus said this? Mary, what you've done for me is not insignificant. Your extravagance, it is a beautiful thing. Though extravagant, her response was so appropriate. When I first got serious about my faith in Christ, I was, I was so floored. <clears throat> Maybe you, I know many of you felt this way. I was so floored by the fact that God could be known and that he would want to know me and that I could know him personally and interactively. And it just it floored me that I was forgiven. I had a hard time getting over the sin of my past. And that was hard. But I realized, God, I am forgiven of my past, my present sin, and my future sin through my faith in Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. And it floored me. It was overwhelming to me. It blew my mind. And I remember at that time I was a student at Iowa State and I lived with this group of guys in this little house just south of Ames and those little college houses, you know, what those are like. And, and I remember as a new Christian uh, feeling this desire, you know, to leave this little house and I would often get in the car and I would just drive out into the country and I would just get out of the car and I would just express my gratitude to God. And I am not a singer, but I had been learning these worship songs, and I, God had changed me, and he had flipped my life upside down, I'm telling you. But it, I tell you what, the reality of who he was and what that meant in my life, it floored me. I mean, I'm the person that I think if you would have driven by and you would have seen that happen, you would have said, wow, that looks crazy. And man, why is he polluting the airwaves? It sounds bad too, Right? Kicked out of the band in the eighth grade, or should I say, politely invited to leave the band. In the, I'm not musical is what I'm trying to say, but I'll tell you this, the truth of Jesus, it pushed me into a place where worship just seemed right. Extravagant worship, maybe you could even say. It just seemed appropriate in light of who he is. Church, there are going to be times when your love for Christ will cause people to wonder why you love him so much. You'll do things when you worship God. When you worship God, it will cause people to scratch their head at times and they'll ask themselves the question, why do they do what they do? They must love him, Jesus, so incredibly much. Weird, they might even say. You know, this morning, my encouragement to you and to myself, first things first, let's prioritize in worship, all kinds of worship, that we would be extravagant in the way that we do it. Mary brought Jesus her absolute best. Extravagant, yes, but completely, completely appropriate. And so think about this. What does it look like to bring your best at church, at home, at work, with what you've been entrusted with, let's bring our very best. We're going to end our service today. I'm excited for this. We're going to have a few extra minutes of worship today.
And, um, you know, I, what I love about Rob and Eli and our bands that come each and every week, you got to know this about them. Their heart behind what they do each and every week is this. It's that it would ignite in our church this sense of passionate worship. Not because passionate is the thing to do, but because Jesus is so incredibly worth it. And so I want to encourage you. Would you ask this question this morning? What does it look like for you and I to extravagantly worship? We see examples of this throughout the scriptures. Um, sometimes we see people in the scriptures, they're standing before God. Sometimes they're kneeling. Sometimes they're raising their hands, just saying, God, I adore you for who you are. Have you ever noticed, and I, I mentioned that before, that sometimes the posture of your body changes the condition of your heart. If I'm ever on my knees and I'm praying, you know what it does? It takes my heart to a good place because it reminds me, God, I am desperately in need of you. God, I'm on my knees. I submit to you. I, I love you. I need you. And so today, I want to challenge you a little bit. Maybe you shut your eyes during worship today. And you just enjoy the presence of God. Maybe you raise a hand today and you just say, God, I can't, I can't help but be extravagant in my worship. Because you are so good. Well, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you put your palms out like this. Say, maybe you have something to give to God today. Say, God, I released this to you. Very simple. When I passionately engage in worship, what am I doing? I'm ascribing great worth to God. You're saying this. You're saying, I hold you in high regard. And remember, don't forget what Jesus said to Mary. When Mary came along and she breaks this jar, Jesus didn't say, hey, simmer down a little bit, Mary. People might look at you and think you're weird. No, 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 no. He said, Mary, what you have done for me is a beautiful thing. In other words, Mary... What you've done for me, it's completely appropriate. You know, Mary had, and maybe this morning, you have to get over who's sitting next to you a little bit and just kind of get in your own little zone and just between you and God. And I would encourage you to do that because one thing is for sure, Mary had to do that. When she walked into that house, she had to get over that very quickly. And so church, I'm going to pray for us. Our team's going to come and let's do a beautiful thing. Let's worship God today in spirit and in truth, extravagantly. Um, so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, thank you for just the gift of who you are. Thank you for this example of Mary. And um, Father, we want to extravagantly worship you at home, at church, at work, everywhere we are. God, might you be honored, Lord, because you are so incredibly worthy, Lord. We love you. And uh, Lord, now we worship you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.